is Amy Hill. Thanks for tuning in to Amy on the Hill, a podcast born out of Jesus's teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, which says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is Amy. I think I can officially say happy summer to everyone now, especially those of you with kids. I know that um, those of you listening in the South got out of school a while ago, but many schools in my area here on the East Coast just finished up this week or the week before. So yeah, I think whether you've got kids or not, we're all officially in summer mode now. Hopefully you're planning a vacation or time away sometime soon. My husband and I are still trying to officially figure out what to do this year. We're a little last minute sometimes, but anyway, so welcome back to another week of our discussion of Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love, this week. If you're reading along, you don't have to read along in order to listen in, but if you are reading with us, we read chapter 5 of Crazy Love, and we read chapter 1 of First John out of the Bible. As I mentioned last week, First John is distinct from the Gospel of John. If you're new to Bible reading, you might be thinking of the Gospel of John as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But First John is actually toward the end of the Bible. It's a shorter, separate book of the Bible. And again, this week, we read First John chapter 1. As we get started, as we do each week, let's take a moment to pray. If you can find a quiet space, do it. Mom of young ones might want to hide in a closet since it's officially summertime. Uh, If you're working out, if you're driving, if you're cleaning, whatever you're doing, uh, prepare your hearts and minds and please join me in prayer. Dearest Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. I know we do this every week here on the podcast, but please help it not to become overly familiar to us, Lord. Help us to sincerely come with a humble heart right now and draw near to you in prayer. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we confess that we don't necessarily feel rich when we look around at some of the wealth we encounter in our daily lives, but chances are, if we're listening to this podcast, Lord, we are some of the richest people in the world. We don't feel that way because we're comparing ourselves to the people around us. But Lord, if we compared ourselves to the people in the world, the overlooked and forgotten people who you see and who you love, and who you created in your image, Lord, if we saw ourselves as compared to those people, we would see our wealth. As it is, we're generally blind to it, and in many ways, Lord, it keeps us from you, because it fools us into thinking we're self-sufficient. We have no need for you. Our security is in trust funds, and mutual funds, and 401ks, and equity. Meanwhile, Lord, we're spiritually bankrupt, and our lives are literally passing away. 
Help us, Lord. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus also said with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Do the impossible in us, God. We don't want to gain the whole world and lose our souls. We don't want to believe the lie that what we have is better than what you have for us. These are hard truths we're considering lately. These are not comfortable exchanges you're asking us to make. But Lord, we believe everything we desire is found in you. The lie is that success will make us happy. Money will make us happy. A relationship, a book deal, the season finale of our favorite show, shopping for more stuff. Meanwhile, celebrities are overdosing on drugs. No one is happy, Lord. No one is happy apart from you. Break us free from the lies of this world. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God, and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Deliverance is radical. You will not be delivered from your long-term bondage by you just playing with the Sunday thing. It will not happen. It will not happen. It will not happen. We get serious about this thing. We surrender ourselves to him and say, I've had enough of being my own God. This is not working. Come and save me. What I just read was a quote from one of my favorite teachers, Beth Moore. If you listen frequently, you know I reference her often. And she actually happens to have an app entitled uh, LPM. If you want to get the app, it's free. Just, just search LPM and you'll see an app called Living Proof Ministries with Beth Moore. It's a little black square. And again, be sure to search the acronym LPM in order to get the correct app. I think I searched Living Proof Ministries once and ended up with a weird app. So anyway, like I said, it's like a little black square. Um, and if you get that app, you'll be able to watch speaking videos of Beth. So I was actually watching one of her videos this morning entitled The One and Only Part Two. And in that video, Beth insisted that deliverance is radical. You will not be delivered from your long-term bondage by you just playing with the Sunday thing. It will not happen. It will not happen. It will not happen. We get serious about this thing. We surrender ourselves to him and say, I've had enough of being my own God. This is not working. Come and save me. Francis Chan, in our reading this week, got even more serious about our lukewarm Christianity. In fact, this week, he went so far as to say there's no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. As he sees it, a lukewarm Christian is an oxymoron. Instead, Francis argued that churchgoers or Christians who are lukewarm are not really Christians. According to Francis, Jesus wants all or nothing. And so the thought of a person calling himself a Christian without being a devoted follower of Christ is absurd. 
I'm going to read some of what Francis said from page 87 of Crazy Love. Francis writes, Some people claim that we can be Christians without necessarily becoming disciples. I wonder then why the last thing Jesus told us was to go into the world making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he commanded. You'll notice that he didn't add, but hey, if that's too much to ask, tell them just to become Christians, you know, the people who get to go to heaven without having to commit to anything. Francis talked about taking a few days to read the Gospels in the Bible. The Gospels are the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Francis talked about taking a few days to read uh, the Gospels as though he were reading for the first time. Maybe you're someone who has read the Gospels a hundred times, or maybe you're someone who has never read the Gospels. Sometimes being unfamiliar with something uh, can actually be an advantage because sometimes when we're overly familiar with something, we become immune to it. We don't see it or we don't listen to what it says. Has that ever happened to you? I'll confess, I'm not the neatest person you'll ever meet. I can be uh, kind of messy. And so something could seriously be sitting on my shelf for like five or six days and it's like I don't even see it. I may have put it there, a piece of paper or whatever it is, but I don't see it sitting there until it's time for me to actually clean it up or, you know, I need it for some reason. Then I see it. And then I throw it away or whatever I need to do with it. But otherwise, it just becomes like part of the room for me. I'm like oblivious to it. Uh, all you neat freaks out there, all you neat freaks out there are probably uh, breaking out in hives thinking about that. But I'm sure you can still relate to what I'm saying if you think about, you know, someone you've known for a long time. Maybe uh, you don't notice things about them that a new friend would notice about them because they're so familiar to you. Like the example that's coming to my head right now is maybe that person has strikingly beautiful eyes. My husband has really really nice eyes, but I don't notice them as much anymore because I see his eyes every day. So it can be the same kind of thing with scripture. And Francis, in taking time to read the Gospels before writing this chapter, said that he tried to read it um, from the perspective of a 12-year-old who knew nothing about Jesus. He didn't want to read it as a seminary graduate, graduate or a pastor or as an affluent American Christian. He tried to read it with the innocence of a child and as if he had never read it before. And as we were reading um, Crazy Love, he challenged us to do the same thing. He wrote, pray, pray, then read the Gospels for yourself. Put this book down and pick up your Bible. My prayer for you is that you'll understand the scriptures not as I see them, but as God intends them. I said this as we were getting started with this book study, and I want to say it again now. The reason we read the Bible, and not just our book, we're not just reading Crazy Love, we're also reading portions of the Bible alongside, uh, is because we never want books like Crazy Love or Jesus the King or any book, even if they're great books like the books we're reading, we never want a book to replace our own 
personal reading of God's word, of the Bible. Uh, before Jesus died on the cross, uh, many of you probably know this, but some of you may not, before Jesus died on the cross, there was a thick veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the people outside. And in order to enter the Holy of Holies, which is where the Spirit of God was, uh, the priest would have to sacrifice animals to atone for his sins and the sins of the people. The priest would have to purify himself and sprinkle blood everywhere. It was a very serious and dangerous process uh, to go in before our holy God into the holy of holies in order to enter into the presence of God. And in fact, the priest would even have to wear bells on his clothing so that the people outside could hear him moving around in there because the fear was that he would drop dead inside. But when Jesus died on the cross, that thick veil that once separated the Holy of Holies from the people outside was ripped from top to bottom. You can check that out in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. The veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the people outside was ripped from top to bottom. That meant we no longer had to go through a priest, and we no longer had to sacrifice animals to atone for sin. Jesus Christ was himself that perfect and final sacrifice that once for all made a way for us to draw near to God. So while it's great and very beneficial for us to sit under gifted and trusted teachers like Francis Chan and Tim Keller and our pastors and our women's leaders, we should also be reading and studying God's word for ourselves. We should also be praying to God directly um, in Jesus's name. Uh, we don't always want to have to go through someone else or through someone who's written a book. Um, the veil has been torn. We have personal access through Jesus Christ and God's word, the Bible is available to us. This isn't something we want to take for granted. challenge us to read the Gospels for ourselves without any preconceived ideas in order to understand for ourselves what God wants to communicate to us through Scripture. And as Francis has pointed out in our reading this week, when we do that, what we see can be pretty alarming, pretty alarming for our overly familiar American Christian liking. I am going to be honest with you, um, I'm, I'm personally struggling with discussing this today on the podcast, and I think that's because my approach in sharing my faith and encouraging others in their faith is not one of fire and brimstone. Right around this time, about 275 years ago, on July 8th, in 1741, during a period of church history known as the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards preached the well-known sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
Many of you uh, or some of you may have heard of that sermon before. If you've ever read or listened to this sermon, you know it is scary as all get out. Just the title is scary. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And frankly, uh, that's not my chosen method of evangelism. I'd rather tell you about God's love than talk about God's wrath. I'd rather marvel at God's grace with you rather than dwell on uh, the consequences of sin. And so our topic of discussion today is not my favorite, but I do think it's necessary and I do think it's good. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That Hebrew word translated fear here can be translated to mean reverence, dreadful, exceedingly fear, fearfulness. Reverence, dreadful, exceedingly fear, fearfulness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a good thing. Uh, Similarly, uh, in Job chapter 28, verse 28, it says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Psalm chapter 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commands. His praise endures forever. And Proverbs chapter 1 Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is a good thing. And I feel like as a friend, I'm not being a good friend if I'm not honest with you about that. Psalm chapter um, 145 verses 8 and 9 say that the Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. I like to focus on verses like that um, because verses like that are true. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Francis uh, also said in this chapter that he doesn't want true believers to doubt their salvation as they read this book or consider these things. Uh, He wrote, each of us has lukewarm elements and practices in our life. Therein lies the senseless, extravagant grace of it all. The scriptures demonstrate clearly that there is room for our failure and sin in our pursuit of God. His mercies are new every morning, Lamentations 3. His grace is sufficient, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Francis says, I'm not saying that when you mess up, it means you were never really a genuine Christian in the first place. If that were true, no one could follow Christ. The distinction is perfection, which none will attain on this earth, and a posture of obedience and surrender, where a person perpetually moves toward Christ. To call someone a Christian simply because he does some Christian-y things is giving false comfort to the unsaved, but to declare anyone who sins unsaved is to deny 
the reality and truth of God's grace. Okay, so this isn't something we should take lightly at all, but it also isn't something uh, to override grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We should not take for granted that we are in Christ just because we say we're Christians or just because we go to church and do some of the right things. Francis referenced a verse we read in James chapter 2 a few weeks ago, James chapter 2, verse 19, which says, You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I'm going to read that again. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Have you ever thought about that? According to the Bible, Satan and demons are real. I know that seems crazy to many of us, but really, if we consider all the evil that we observe in this world, it shouldn't seem so crazy. The Bible teaches that there are spiritual forces of darkness and evil, and demons don't just believe. Demons know. Demons know for a fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So knowing or believing Jesus is God's son isn't enough. Hanging around with a lot of people who are Christians and doing what they do isn't enough. The question is, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Do you have assurance that you are personally in Christ? Um, Francis also quoted Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 25, and out of Luke chapter 14, verse 33, In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 25, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. And in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus says, Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. These are sobering words. Francis asked us, are you willing to say God can have whatever he wants? I was convicted by this. Last week I told a story in which I genuinely asked God, to tell me what he wanted. I wanted to give him whatever he wanted because I had tasted and seen for myself how much more worthy and how much more wonderful he was as opposed to the things I valued in my flesh. And so because of that, I wanted to give him more. I wanted uh, what he wanted more than I wanted what I wanted. And all these years later, Uh, I know so much more about scripture than I did back then. People would probably say I'm pretty spiritual if you ask them. Um, But I'm not sure, if I'm honest, I'm not sure that I'm as willing today as I was then to give God whatever he wants. I want to be, but I'm not sure I am. So I've been praying and asking God to help me open my hand and help me to, once again, turn it all over to him, to trust him completely with it, to love him above all of it, and just be willing to be where he wants me to be, doing what he wants me to do 
for as long as he wants me to do it. In a previous podcast episode entitled Jesus the King, the Trap and the Ransom, we discussed the rich young ruler found in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. If you're unfamiliar with that portion of scripture, you may want to go back and check that out for yourself. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 27 tells, uh, recounts the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, You could also go back and listen to that episode of the podcast if you're interested in hearing our discussion. Again, the podcast episode was entitled Jesus the King, uh, The Trap and the Ransom. And the reason I bring that up is because Francis actually referenced this rich young ruler in our reading this week as well. This is the man who doesn't want to give up his current life for the promise of what Jesus had to offer because because he was so wealthy, um, he wasn't sure that it was a good trade. And this is in complete contrast to the parable of the hidden treasure, which is found in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 44, where a man finds a treasure hidden in a field and then goes and sells all he has to buy that field. He gave everything for that treasure, unlike the rich young ruler who thought what he was holding was worth more than what the Lord wanted to give him. The man who found the treasure in the field gave it all to have that treasure. And uh, that's why Francis said being rich is a serious disadvantage spiritually. When I go into Camden, I go into Camden, New Jersey, at least once a month to minister to the poor and homeless population with uh, a ministry uh, called Seeds of Hope Ministries, and you could find out about them at seedsofhopeministries.org, Camden, New Jersey, if you're not from um, this area where I live in in, uh, South Jersey, Camden, New Jersey, is really one of the most uh, troubled cities in the United States. And um, when I go into Camden to serve with Seeds of Hope, uh, the people there, are so much more receptive to the gospel than the people 20 minutes away who live in the suburbs. The people in the suburbs are usually receptive when they've reached rock bottom on an issue or something bad has happened or they're feeling desperate. But for the most part, um, rich people have no need for God. Uh, Being rich is a serious disadvantage Spiritually, when you look at it like that, the people in Camden are so open to the good news of the gospel. They're so willing to give what they have and trade it for what the Lord wants to give them because they've, they have come to the end of themselves. I think sometimes um, when we're doing okay, we really don't feel like we have need for God. Um, Francis also quoted William Wilberforce, um, who kind of backed this up by also saying, prosperity hardens the heart. The scripture tells us that the rich young ruler who thought what he was holding was worth more than what the Lord wanted to give him. The scripture tells us that rich young ruler went away with his stuff, but he went away sad. He went away with his stuff. He kept everything that he thought was more valuable, but he went away sad because of his wealth. Rich girl, rich guy, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to us. Let's not go away sad. What we have, what we're holding on to, is not 
worth more than the Lord wants to give us. Let's give it all to him, whatever he wants. And let's not put qualifications on it. I want to. <laughs> I want to reassure you, you know, don't worry. That won't mean he, he won't ask you to do He's not going to ask you to do anything crazy. That's what I want to say. But I can't <laughs> reassure you of that. He might ask you to do something crazy. He might. Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 33 says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, that was Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 33. And what's being said in that passage of scripture is just like a person building a tower needs to determine if he has the resources to complete the tower. And just like a king going to war needs to determine ahead of time whether he's able to be victorious in war, we also need to count the cost. We also need to understand ahead of time that God is asking for everything. That doesn't mean he'll take everything. For me, I'm still living in a nice house with a lot of nice things. But God has asked me to uh, put this out there in a pretty bold way in a podcast. You know, interestingly, I, I really like doing most of the things God has asked me to do. Uh, it's like he created me to do these things. And actually, he did create me to do these things. Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, that's Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he did create me to do this. And so I can tell you, I get a lot of joy out of a lot of the things he asks me to do. I've also had to overcome a lot, though. Um, there are some things I do that I don't love to do. And I've also, you know, had to get over my fear of people's opinions of me. I've had to risk being embarrassed or looking dumb. He's asked me to give my time and some of my cash to some causes he cares about, which has meant you know, having to sacrifice some of my free time. And it's meant that I've had to wait on some of the purchases or improvements to my home I'd like to make. Uh, he's asked me to change some of my habits. He's asked me to change some of my ambitions. And that's just where we are right now. I don't know what he'll ask of me tomorrow. And I don't know what he'll ask of you. I'm sure in ways it will be very similar and in other ways, it will be very different from what he asks of me. I read a book a few weeks ago about a girl 
who graduated from high school, and instead of going to college and against her parents' wishes, this girl moved to Uganda and adopted 16 daughters. Will he ask that of you? <laughs> Probably not, uh, but he might. He might. He asked that of her, and crazy enough, she said yes. Her book is actually an awesome read if you're looking for something inspiring to read this summer. It's called Kisses from Katie, and the author's name is Katie Davis. I recommend it highly uh, because what stood out to me in that book was not, you know, this girl who makes these crazy sacrifices for God, but this girl who can't get over God's crazy sacrifice for her, God's crazy love for her. She feels blessed beyond measure that God would call her to the life that he's called her to. Bill and Brenda Antinor, the founders of Seeds of Hope, they're the same way. They always say to each other with wonderment, I can't believe God picked us for this job. They say it like little kids with stars in their eyes and not like two people who are living in one of the most dangerous cities in the country. They feel very blessed uh, by where God has called them. And, you know, if I'm honest, this is, this is what I'm trying to say. I think sometimes I, I softball it a little bit, but I don't know where God is calling me. So far, it hasn't been that extreme, but I don't know what's around the bend. And again, I just want to get back to that place um, where I'm willing to say to him, Lord, whatever, you know, but the question is, do I trust him? Do I believe he loves me? Do I believe what he is offering me is better than what I'm holding on to? There was a time in my life where I, I really, really did. And I, again, I'm being convicted lately to, to say, you know, am I still willing to say to God, you can have whatever you want? And are you willing to say, God, you can have whatever you want? Because that's the cost of discipleship, everything. With man, this kind of radical devotion, this crazy love is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Oh Lord, please do the impossible in us. this episode of the podcast. I'm so glad you listened in today. If you have any questions or if you want to reach out for any reason, I really love hearing from people. You can reach me at amyonthehill.com. You can also find an Amy on the Hill page on Facebook. Uh, if you're on Facebook, just search Amy on the Hill and it should come right up. You can also connect with me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle on both Twitter and Instagram is amybxhill. That's A-M-Y-B-X-H-I-L-L. I'd love to connect with you in any or all of those ways, so be sure to reach out. As we conclude, as always, I want to say goodbye by speaking over you the blessing of the benediction found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. So please receive this in faith. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.